to begin with verse 19 where we left off last Sunday. And we're going to consider verses 19 through 22. Philemon, verse 19 through verse 22. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay, not to mention to you that you owe to me even your own self as well. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, since I know that you will do even more than what I say. At the same time, also prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Notice that he does not say, blessed are the peacekeepers. Many of us opt for peacekeeping, and in the process, we fail to fulfill the purpose which God has for us in being reconcilers. We've seen as we've studied the book of Philemon that Philemon is not a tract on anti-slavery as much as it is a treatise on reconciliation. The focus of the writing of this letter from the Apostle Paul to his friend in the faith, Philemon, was to get Onesimus, the runaway slave owned by Philemon, and Philemon back together. A peacemaker really is a troubleshooter. And by definition, a troubleshooter is a skilled person employed to fix either something mechanical or personal. And of course, in this case, it has to do with fixing relationships which are broken. Peacemakers are God's troubleshooters. And we are called the sons of God. In order to be an effective peacemaker, first of all, a person must have a vision as far as the way in which things ought to be. And then secondly, the person must have the follow-through to take the risk to get the thing fixed. Now, Jesus is the Son of God. Would you call Jesus a peacemaker? Certainly. He has a vision of the way things ought to be between God his Father and we, the creation of that same Father. He wants to put us together so that God can really become our Father. He wants to give us forgiveness in order that we may be made right with him. The Bible says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we do have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But in addition to that, When we experience the peace of God, it does something to our relationships. It has the capacity to turn bad relationships into very positive, strong relationships. Inherent in peacemaking is people forgiving others of the offenses which they have created toward one another. Have you ever stopped to think that the whole concept of forgiveness really is a promise a promise to not take revenge. Forgiveness says, I will not bring the offense up to you again, nor will I bring it up to other people. We may be reluctant to bring up the offense that someone else has lodged against us to the one who's created the offense, but we spend a lot of our time talking to other people about the offense. But here, I think, is the most important matter pertaining to our forgiving one another. We have to refuse to bring it up to ourselves. 
Now, I would say probably we're not the ones who bring it up so much as the devil is the one who brings it up. Because we know that he is the accuser of the brothers. And he accuses us day and night. He accuses us to God, but he accuses us to one another too when we have offended one another. And this, I would suggest, is something that we can do to keep that from coming up in our own minds when we are tempted to harbor bitterness toward people who have offended us, as, by the way, Onesimus had offended Philemon. Just stop with me a moment and think about what Onesimus cost Philemon. He cost him his labor. More than likely, after Onesimus left, Philemon would have gone back to the slave market and bought another slave. The going rate for an average slave was 500 denarii. One denarii was equivalent to one day's wages for a common laborer in that particular time. So over a whole year's worth of wages was required in order to buy another slave to replace this runaway slave Onesimus. It cost this businessman Philemon money to replace him. And probably when Onesimus left Philemon's house, he had stuffed his pockets with things from that house in order to resource his fleeing away. So he had offended him a lot, had he not? And what the Lord was trying to communicate through Paul to Philemon was, you've got to forgive this man. And whenever the devil brings it up to you, after you forgive him, Philemon, what you need to do is just speak to the devil and say, I recognize your voice, and your voice is that of the accuser of the brothers, and I'm not going to listen to you. Let me just encourage you to try that this week. When you are offended in your mind and you think about the offense that someone has lodged against you sometime in your past, try it and see what happens. Now, what is the motivation for forgiveness? Even though this word forgiveness never appears in this short letter from Philemon, I mean from Paul to Philemon, even though it never appears in this short letter, it's there, isn't it? What motivates us to forgive? Well, one thing that should motivate us to forgive is found in verse 19 of this passage of Scripture. And it is the awareness that I owe a debt that I can never repay. Look at verse 19. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. Now, it was Paul's custom that when he would end his letters, he would take the pen away from the man or person to whom he was dictating the letter, and then he would write a note in his own handwriting. We see this in the book of Colossians, the last verse. We see it in Galatians chapter 6, verse 11. He says, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. And probably the reason Paul refers to the large letters, and maybe even the reason that Paul was given to using a secretary, or as the term is used, amanuensis is the technical term, to dictate all his letters to is because he had a problem with his eyes and he could not see well. He writes these large letters. This is a personal letter and from 19 until the end of this letter, he's writing with his own hand. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. Now what he's referring to is what Onesimus owes to Philemon. Did Onesimus have the resources to pay? Probably not, remembering he was a slave. He probably had squandered all of the stuff that he had stolen from his master. 
and he was on his way back. But Paul had some resources. Where he got those resources, we can only speculate. Perhaps those were resources which he had kept in part from the contribution which the Philippian church had made to him on his missionary journey. He speaks of that in Philippians chapter 4. And that book, by the way, was written about the same time that this book of Philemon was written. Look at verse 18 again, just to review for a moment. But if, and the word we saw last week translated if, really could be better translated since, but since Onesimus has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Now, look down again at verse 19. I will repay, Paul says, and then parenthetically he says, not to mention to you that you owe to me even your own self as well. Paul was the one who had been the instrument in God's hands to introduce Philemon to the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only had he introduced him to Christ, he had nurtured him in his newfound faith. He had, as we say today, discipled Philemon. He had poured his life into this man. And in that sense, Philemon owed the Apostle Paul his very life. Now we know, to whom do we really owe our spiritual life? We owe it to Jesus Christ. But think about your own life. How did you come to faith in Jesus Christ? More than likely, you came to faith in Jesus Christ through another human being who cared enough about you and loved you enough and risked the rejection that he or she might have experienced by confronting you with your sin and your need for Jesus Christ. That is a peacemaking mission all of us can be on, by the way, to bring people together with the Lord Jesus Christ. But Philemon had this kind of indebtedness to Paul. And basically, what is Paul saying? He says, when you get this letter, charge whatever Onesimus owes to my account, and then, by the way, remember how much you owe me, and then go ahead and cancel the debt. Really, that's what he was getting at in this particular situation. Now, think for just a moment about the kind of debt which Onesimus owed to Philemon. He owed a temporal debt. He owed a material debt. But what kind of debt did Philemon owe to the Apostle Paul? He owed an eternal debt to him for introducing him to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he owed him a spiritual debt. Now, can you think of people in your life to whom you owe a spiritual and eternal debt? Can you think of such people? And if there are such people in your life, and whether you acknowledge it, there are such people in your life, and there are probably many people of that sort in your life, when you think about that and you think about what someone else owes you, maybe someone has offended you in any number of ways. Someone may have offended you or some numbers of people have offended you. Can't we forgive those people because we know that we have a debt we will never be able to repay? I was thinking about my parents in this regard. I owe a debt I will never be able to repay to my parents. Recently when I had a birthday, I called my mother and she was at work and I said, Mother, I just want to thank you for giving me life. And I'd sent her a valentine and in the valentine, the Lord led me to a great valentine. And basically the message was, and I found it in the Hallmark store of all places, the message was, thank you, and then just cataloged all the things I was wanting to thank my mother for. And at the very end of the list was, for leading me to the Lord, because my mother led me to the Lord. She was the one, along with my father, but she was really the primary 
person who led me to faith in Jesus Christ. You know, I'll never be able to repay my mother for that. Never. Never. Not to mention all the things that she did. My first memory of my mother was when I was probably about four years old, three or four years old, and I was sick, and my mother stayed up all night sitting in the hallway. It seemed like all night. It may not have been that long. But sitting up, taking care of me when my dad was away working to make a living for us. I called my father the same day, and I said, Daddy, thank you for all you have done for me, giving me life and taking care of me. You know, there is no way I will ever be able to repay my parents for what my parents have done for me. And then I thought about my teachers, my elementary school teachers, Mrs. Brown, who taught me to read in first grade. We didn't have public school kindergarten, and we didn't have the money for me to go to private kindergarten. But when I went to first grade, Mrs. Brown taught me to read. And then Mrs. Tedder followed, and Mrs. Pearson, and Miss Trammell, and Mrs. Fowler, and Mrs. Harrison. And I don't know, I know two of those people are already gone. They're out of here. One of them I know is a committed Christian and is with the Lord. But I was thinking how these people taught me to read so that I can read the Bible. And I can understand the Bible. And then when I got into high school, how some of my excellent English teachers taught me analytical skills for interpreting literature. And then when I got into seminary, I had the finest teaching I have ever had in my life. I had some good teachers in college, but when I got to seminary, I could not believe the caliber of professors which I had. Without exception, excellent teachers, men who were committed to being not only scholars, but being spiritual men. And they taught me even further how to interpret God's Word so that I could understand it and so that I might be able to take the gifts which God had already given me and use them to help other people to know Christ and to grow spiritually. And I think about my mentors, two in particular, came to my mind. Men who were godly men and still are living and are godly men and who impacted my life. And God, you know, I'll never be able to repay my teachers or my mentors. And I thought about friends whom I have. And I think about how indebted I am to the friends whom God has given to me. I'll never be able to pay back these people. And I could go on and on. You know, all of us owe a debt we cannot pay. The greatest of which is to our Lord Jesus Christ who gave his life in order to secure our salvation. And he's put us into a family of believers where he wants us to live in harmonious relationship with those people. Well, there's a second motivation. The first motivation for my or your forgiving others is the awareness that we owe a debt we cannot pay. We'll never be able to pay it back. Here's the second motivation. It's the awareness that I can become a blessing to others if I choose to forgive. Now let's look at verse 20. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart. Now we saw earlier in our study of the book of Philemon that Philemon had a habit of blessing other people. He refreshed the hearts of other people. And the conclusion which we reached was he blessed them by being hospitable, remembering that there was a church which met in his home. And his house was like an oasis of love, an oasis of holiness in a desert, spiritually speaking. And 
Paul's appealing to his son in the faith. He says, I want you to refresh my heart now. You've been good about refreshing all these other people's hearts, but now I'd like to ask you to refresh my heart, which raises a question. How was he going to do it? We'll see in just a moment. He was going to be able to refresh him by being hospitable to him. But here's a way I think his, that is Philemon's forgiving Onesimus, and they're coming together as brothers in Christ, would really refresh the heart of the Apostle Paul. In Philippians, I've already alluded to the fact that Philippians was a book which was written at the same time that Philemon was written. Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Philemon were all prison epistles written approximately at the same time. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 2, Paul says this, Make my joy complete by being like-minded. Having the same love, being one in spirit and in purpose, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. He was saying, in effect, to those Philippians what he wanted to communicate with Philemon. Look, Philemon, you will refresh my heart by taking Onesimus back and wrapping your arms, spiritually speaking, if not physically speaking, around him in love and embracing him. Because that is something that is near and dear to my heart, that my children get along with each other. Now, those of us who are parents know that nothing satisfies us quite like our children loving each other. Is that true? You know it, and I know it. We want our children to love each other because we love them, and we want our family to be tightly knit in that regard. And Jesus, of course, in the high priestly prayer in John 17, his prayer is that we will have such unity. Paul was really focused on this, wasn't he? In Philippians, a little later, he says, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche, two women in the church at Philippi, to agree with one another in the Lord. They were out of sorts with each other. And he says, I plead that you would come together and get this thing squared away. In Ephesians chapter 4, he says, make every effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is a recurring theme in the writings of the Apostle Paul. You can find it in virtually every one of his works. His emphasis on the importance of unity because he derived great joy from that. You know, the thing really that's going to trigger real revival in the church of Jesus Christ in America, I think, is when there's a laying down of the burden of the offenses that have been leveled from one brother to another brother, just letting them rest, laying it down. That's the key that's going to unlock the door to real spiritual revival in this country, I think, and in the world for that matter. No telling how much effort the devil puts into dividing people. That's his M.O. He's a divider. Jesus Christ is a uniner. And Satan will do whatever he can to divide people. You and I can be a blessing to other people, so many other people, if we make a habit of being peacemakers. Be like Paul and be like Philemon evidently became because Philemon, I think, took the advice of the Apostle Paul in this situation. But look at verse 22. Here's another way in which you and I can be a blessing to other people if we forgive those who have offended us. Verse 22. At the same time also prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. Now let me remind you of what Jesus says 
about this matter of our forgiving while we pray. He says, when you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anybody, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. That's pretty plain, isn't it? If I'm holding a grudge against you, I'm wasting my time praying to the Father because the Father won't hear me. I mean, He's omniscient, so He hears everything, but He won't respond to my prayer because I'm harboring bitterness in my heart towards someone else. And until I release that, then I cannot be forgiven. That's pretty serious, isn't it? That's very serious. And we need to let go of that. And what will happen is then the Lord will hear our prayers because the Bible says if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me, Psalm 66, 18. So that's a sin for me not to forgive you if you have offended me. Is that correct? Why, of course it is. You know the story of Job. And it ends on a very happy note, although it was full of sorrow, his story was, at least the part that we have a record of. You may remember, at the end of the book of Job, God speaks to the friends of Job and basically says, I'm really hacked off at you all because you have misrepresented me to Job. And I think by implication he would say, and you have misrepresented Job to Job. You have accused him of things that aren't true about his situation. You have ascribed behavior to him that did not lead to the situation in which he found himself when he was so bad off. Now, Job probably had a problem with those three so-called friends. He probably had a little grudge that built up as he listened to their assessment of his situation. But then, what does the Lord say to Job? First of all, he says to these three friends, I want you to go to Job, and when you get to Job, I want you to ask Job to pray for you. And I think that was a great release for Job. Job had to forgive those men, and then he could pray for them, and the Lord forgave them. And then the Bible says Job's fortunes were restored. Now, I'm not saying that you're going to get rich if you forgive the people who've hurt you or offended you. But you're going to get richer spiritually for sure, not to mention emotionally richer. When you forgive, you know what happens when I refuse to forgive someone? I become that person's prisoner. You know what I mean, don't you? Have you ever had a grudge against someone? And when you're not really concentrating on something, then all of a sudden what comes to your mind? Boom, right there in the front of your mind. It's there, isn't it? It's there. Don't deny it. It's right there. And you're thinking about this person, and you just grit your teeth, and you're just saying, oh, well, you're just thinking all kinds of bad things about that person, how you can get even with that person, and wishing ill on that person. Wouldn't it be much more relaxing just to let it go? I mean, that person is not bothered by your hanging on to that thing. You're the one who's bothered by it. I'm the one who's bothered by it. And we need to release that person. And really, in releasing that person, what we're doing is we're releasing ourselves is what we're doing in that situation, certainly. So what happens here is Philemon, in taking Onesimus back and forgiving Onesimus, is freed to pray for Paul's release. And Paul was released, by the way. We know that his initial thought was that he would go west to Spain. 
But evidently, he came back east to see Philemon, see Onesimus, visit the churches, and so forth. Well, here's the last motivation that we're going to look at today for forgiveness. It's the awareness that I have been called to obey the Lord. Look at verse 21. Having confidence in your obedience, and he certainly was not thinking about obedience to himself. That is, Paul was not calling for that because look at verse 8. We saw this a couple of weeks ago. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you. He could have pulled the apostle card out and put it on the table and demanded by virtue of his position that Philemon obey him. But he didn't do that, did he? So we know here in verse 21 the confidence that Paul had in the obedience of Philemon was his obedience to God. Because Philemon knew full well the teaching of Jesus that if a brother offends you seven times a day, you forgive him seven times a day. That's what Jesus says in Luke 17. And that's a figurative way of saying you forgive him an infinite number of times because the number seven in Hebrew thought is the number of perfection. Forgive him and forgive him and forgive him. Forgive people an unlimited number of times. The passage which we read earlier from Ephesians says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as... Now, here's the clincher. Think with me a moment. Just as God in Christ forgave you. And then the next verse says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children... We're dearly loved children. How do we know that we are dearly loved children? Because God has forgiven us in Christ an immense debt, a debt which we would never be able to pay. And then Paul goes on to write that we are to live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. When I think about What I have done in my life in sinning against my Father in offending Jesus Christ, and I put that up beside the little offenses that people have created toward me, those things become so insignificant, don't they? They just pale into insignificance. And the Lord wants you and me to obey Him in this area to forgive those who have offended us. Just like God called on Philemon through Paul to forgive Onesimus, God calls on you and me to forgive those who have offended us. Whether it's a family member, a co-worker, a former friend, a church member, a pastor, someone who's offended you, what the Lord says, forgive. Do you know this matter of being like Paul in peacemaking is a powerful, powerful thing? Because it has the capacity to transform people in a radical way. December 7, 1941, as Franklin Roosevelt reminded the nation, was a day which would live in infamy. When Pearl Harbor was bombed, and really we were drawn into what was certainly an inevitability into World War II. The man who led the air raid of the Japanese, his name is Mitsuo Fuchida. He is dead now. 
But he led 360 Japanese airplanes, and there was great devastation. Over 3,000 people's lives lost. Basically, the whole fleet in the Pacific was lost. It was a terrible day. Some of you were alive, and you remember that day. After the war, Fuchida wrote, I had no awareness of what I was doing in the sense of what the outcome of what I was doing would create in the world. And he was so haunted by his part in World War II that after he finished his service and the war was over, he went back to the village where he had grown up near Osaka. And he just farmed because he wanted to have time to think about what he could do to prevent future Pearl Harbors. He had the seed of the book that he was going to write entitled No More Pearl Harbors. And he studied his own native religion, Buddhism. And he could not find some overarching principle in Buddhism that would enable him to write such a book. He studied other Eastern philosophies. He studied any number of religions but could not come up with any idea about how he could accomplish the purpose of bringing peace to the world. Well, soon after the war ended, several Japanese POWs who had been imprisoned on the west coast of our country were released, and their names were listed in the paper. He saw the name of one particularly close friend, and he found that friend, and he said, how were you treated when you were in prison as a prisoner of war? He says, actually, I was treated extremely well. And he began to unfold a story about a young lady named Peggy Covell, 20 years of age, who would come and she would bring magazines in Japanese to these soldiers. And she would do things to them, these men who were in prison. And finally, they got up enough nerve, really, to ask her why she was so kind to them in light of the fact that their nations were at war with each other. And she said, because my parents were killed by the Japanese. And that took them aback because in that culture particularly, to kill someone's parents would have been the worst thing that you could do to someone. And here this woman was, young lady, and she was coming and saying, I'm serving you in the way in which I'm serving you because you killed my parents. And then she began to tell about how her parents, who were missionaries to that region, were captured by the Japanese, accused of being spies, and were executed. And how after that happened, she became so angry at the Japanese. She wanted to kill those people who had killed her parents. And she was so upset, her mind was cluttered with all the bitterness and resentment that normally would come. You and I would probably have the same initial feelings if someone killed our folks like her parents had been killed. But then all of a sudden she said she had this picture of how much her parents loved the Japanese. And she said she saw in her own mind how those parents of hers had gone to give their life to minister to the Japanese people and the people in that region. And she said it was just like her heart thawed out instantly in that moment. And she committed herself to care for the people who were a part of that nation which had attacked our nation. This had quite an impression upon Mitsuo Fuchida. In fact, he says, I think I've found my principle. It's the principle of forgiving love. 
About that same time, he was called by General MacArthur, who was conducting war trials in Tokyo to come there and testify. He was not indicted. He was not convicted. He just came to testify. And as he was traveling from his village into the railway station in Tokyo, he got off the train. And when he did, there was an American man there who handed him a piece of literature. It was just a little tract, a little pamphlet. And the title on the top of it was, I was a Japanese prisoner of war. And he took it and he began to read it. And the man who had handed it to him was the man who had written it. His name was Jacob DeShazer. DeShazer, on December the 7th, 1941, was already in the Army. He was doing KP duty on the west coast of the United States. And when he heard of the bombing of Pearl Harbor, he said, I'm going to get even with the Japanese. When opportunity came for him, he was in the Air Corps. He was a bombardier. To volunteer to go with Jimmy Doolittle in his raid upon Tokyo... He signed up and he went and he took great delight in dropping bombs on Tokyo, trying to get some kind of revenge. And you know the story. None of those planes was shot down, but they made it into China out of fuel and they had to ditch their planes in China. He, among so many others, was found and placed in a prison camp for 40 months. He said the torture was so unbearable he thought he was going to lose his mind. Until in the 25th month, somehow or another, out of the generosity of some of the guards, a Bible came into the possession of those in his particular prison camp. And the officers got the Bible first. He was a non-commissioned officer, a sergeant. And the Bible was passed down from soldier to soldier, from prisoner to prisoner, until finally it made its way into his hands. And he said for three weeks... He could not put the book down. And he came to Romans 10, 9, and 10 after having read the gospel. And where the scripture says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And he said, In that cell, in his own solitary confinement, he praised God and he asked Jesus Christ to forgive him of his sin. And Christ came into his life. And guess what happened to the hatred which he had? For the Japanese people. Just as was the case with Peggy Covell, it disappeared. It went away. And he made a commitment that he was going to go. If the Lord let him get free and live, he was going to go. And he was going to preach the gospel to the Japanese people. And he did that. He was an evangelist for many years in Japan. He went and he did that. Would you say that peacemaking in the vein of Jesus and the Apostle Paul has the power to radically change people. Now here's the end of the story, and you anticipate it. Mitsuo Fuchida got a Bible after reading this tract by Jacob de Shazer, and he began to read his Bible. And in September of 1949, eight years about, after he had led the raid on Pearl Harbor, he came to Luke 23:34, where when Jesus was hanging on the cross... Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And in that moment, he gave his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jacob DeShazer and Mitsuo Fuchida became fast friends, more than friends. They were reconciled to each other, 
by Jesus Christ. Jesus is our peace. He makes the two one, Paul says in Ephesians 2.14, talking in that case about the Jew and the Gentile. In this case, an American and a Japanese who had been enemies. He makes the two one. And Fuchida himself became an evangelist. And he took the gospel all over Southeast Asia, preaching the gospel. These two men, who were enemies, were reconciled to each other by the power of Jesus Christ. I want to be a peacemaker. I want to be like Paul. I want to be like Jesus. Imitate me, Paul says, as I imitate Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning. All of us are guilty of being troublemakers instead of peacemakers to one degree or another. Forgive us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we have our hymn of commitment.